It's time to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty with Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. And that's right, you're on Dirt Radio with Colin, Rob and Sammy here. Dirt Radio is a show sponsored by Friends of the Earth in Melbourne. So you can check us out on www.org.au. And a special big thanks to Yara Bug for the show just before. So today, I have the chance to have Rob and Sammy here in the studio. Three weeks ago, I met them in a cafe from a mutual friend. And Rob is the founder of the incredible Indigenous Education Foundation. Rob's aim is to help displaced Indigenous people to build themselves a better future by supporting them in the development of educational solutions based on the preservation and utilization of traditional knowledge, customs, and understanding localized ecosystem. Wow, that's a big job you have to do here. Uh, we're going to have the 30-minute show. is going to be all around this foundation. How are you doing, mate? I'm very well, Colin. Pleasure to be here. How are you, Sammy? Uh, very well, thank you. Perfect. <laughs> that's good. Eh? <laughs> so you spent the last six years working and developing a strong partnership and friendship with indigenous in the forest of Indonesia. Is that right? Yeah, in... Uh in a small island chain called Mentawai, which is in uh, West Sumatra in Indonesia. Yeah. How did you meet these people? Um, I initially went over there to go surfing, actually. there's Mentawai is really popular for surfing. It's sort of probably arguably you know, the the mecca for surfing, I think. And um, so I went out there and, yeah, I just found myself quite intrigued by the, the local community and, and um, particularly their culture. And so I decided to to go and live with the community. And so I initially lived with a, um, a small coconut farming um, community there. I didn't really know too much about, you know, the area and, and what was what was available. I tried to find a community that was, you know, as far removed from modern influence um, as possible just to try and get a sense of, you know, what their culture was like. And so, so I, um, yeah, that was the community that I found and, and went there and it was, uh, it was interesting. They hadn't really had... Uh, I suppose direct interaction, you know, with a, a Western person before. So, I mean, I mean, they had, but not no one living within their community. You know, they weren't they weren't um, connected to the to the surf tourism industry. So there was obviously you know all that going on around them, but they didn't have that direct interaction. So, I um, yeah, I went there, and so it was it was quite a I was quite a novelty. I tell you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. How does it live? Um. Uh. Well. There in that community, there were there were aspects of their um, lifestyle that was still, you know, directly related to the land. So you know, living you know, self sufficiently, but at the same time, they were um, connected to the you know financial economic system as well. So trying to farm coconuts, you know, they sell copra there, which they uh, sell for you know three cent, oh, thirty cents a kilo or something like that. You know, mm. so they make very little money. So, um, you know, they were finding life quite difficult. And I was really interested in, in more in the culture and in those, you know, that, those sustainable practices. So I was trying to focus on, on those, the fishing, you know, and their sago, which is a, the staple food. So the process of making that and um, little bits of pieces. But I did find it hard because there, there was, you know, the majority, I think, of conversation was talking about how difficult life sort of was there. You know, they didn't have much opportunity for... Um, for in, uh, for employment and to earn money, so you know, I, I just tried to, I suppose, overlook that and focus more on those sustainable um, practices. How big 
What's this community? Is uh, this community? Quite small, probably mm, 10 houses, 10 homes, okay. maybe five to a home. Um, but there, it was, there were a lot of people coming and going because it was a farming, coconut farming community. And there was people from other villages that owned the coconuts and owned the land. And so there would often be groups that come in for three or four week periods just to farm that, the coconut and then, you know, off they'd go, which, which was good in, in that I was able to learn a bit more about um, language and, and lifestyle from other islands, but also challenging because it was like the, the people within the, the village where I was staying, they'd sort of got used to having me around. Um, but then, you know, new groups would come and they're like, oh, what, there's a, there's a white guy living here? Okay, well, we'll go and, you know, spend a day, you know, looking at him and talking about him. And, and so, and that was quite continuous. And so, not, not that it was, I mean, it was, it was good because it helped me to, to um, learn the language and, and um, you know, and interact. And, but, yeah, just challenging, I suppose, because it was... Um, because I couldn't understand for quite a while. I couldn't understand what they were saying, and and um, yeah, it was quite tiring. But <laughs> and so, like now, you you created this foundation. You want uh, you help them with education. Could you tell tell us like more? How did you how did you find them, and why do you think they would need to be provided with like more uh, yeah indigenous uh, education based on 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 the traditional knowledge? Well, it wasn't till I moved. Uh, further into the forest so after I was probably in that community for about six months or eight months and then um, so I was by that point I could understand the local dialect and and uh, I knew a little bit about the culture uh, and then from there I'd found out that there was a, a community living further in the jungle that um, that still practiced traditional culture and so I I ended up going in there and it wasn't until I arrived there that I saw this really profound contrast between the two communities and in that those that were still connected to their culture and, and living sort of self-sufficient that way were were incredibly, I mean, happy is an easy word to, to throw, but um, they were incredibly proud of, you know, and confident in who they were and, and that uh, then I was able to look back at the community that I'd just come from, the, the settlement community, and see, you know, how... Um, yeah, how much that had impacted them, that disconnection from, from their culture. And, and yeah, it, it didn't really make sense to me. You know, they'd come from, at one point of time, they'd all come from this way of life. And so they'd been given these, you know, supposed developments and ended up, seemed to have gone backwards, you know. So I've um, so I then devoted, I think, the next you know, six years, six, seven years to um, to researching and trying to understand, you know, exactly why, you know, what the cause of this was, which, you know, we found to be that, disconnection from culture you know that's the root cause of this um and so from there i engaged with with um you know local members of the community and, and there was a couple that had taken a lot of interest in in what i was doing and and um you know i'm talking to them about you know the situation and then asking them you know what they think the solution is and and then they've come up with the the idea of um providing an opportunity for the community to learn you know so an education program for them to learn about culture and and whatnot and so then from there I really just just tried to help empower them so you know asking them okay well what what do we need to do this and 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 if it's you know funding or support with documents or um you know talking to to government officials and what have you and and um so yeah just throughout those the next few years we've worked on developing a uh, this com- community education program, which is called Suku Mentawai, and um, and once we'd sort of got to a point where 
you know, we're, we're looking to start implementing. Um, we really need some funding and support from, I suppose, uh, you know, an international audience or some, you know, outside of Mentawai. And so I decided to uh, establish the Indigenous Education Foundation yes. here in Australia, um, yeah, just to try and help raise awareness and support for this program. But also I set it up as a, a bit more of a universal um, foundation in that because I feel like this model can apply to displaced communities all around the world, you know, not just in Mentawa. So just set it up with the long-term vision that, yeah, you know, we can, um, you know, empower communities in here in Australia or in, um, you know, in Africa or, you know, those that are wanting... In South America or South even America, North in yeah. Siberia or in, uh, in also, like, so many places all around the world. We've got exactly the same problem. Where, why do you think the, the Indonesian government resettled the, this community? Um, well, I think it's hard to say the exact reasons, but they, they, um, you know, I'd, uh, to hazard a guess, I'd say motivation was was monetary. But um, they have programs that were designed to to integrate the the tribal communities into the sort of social and cultural mainstream. And so that when Mentawai became part of Indonesia, which was in 1950, I think 1950. Um, yeah, in 1954 or just a few years after that, they started implementing these programs there to bring them um, out of the forest and into these settlements where they could be provided, you know, nationalised schooling and, and whatnot. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, I'd, I'd say the the reasons are probably similar to that they are in, in all other parts of the world with with um, assimilating Indigenous communities. Um, but, yeah, it doesn't seem to have had a positive impact Looking yeah, at, because you know. people, they, when they lived in a forest, they could, as you say, that they were pretty happy, could live like sustainable. They moved into these communities where they need to grow uh, coconuts for 30 cents a kilo. And uh, they're struggling getting jobs. Do they, can they move into a bigger city? Uh, um, oh, I mean, of course they can, but, it, but it's, uh, that's you know, displacement um, because they're, at the moment they've, They've been brought out of the forest and put into these schools and taught to to read and write and you know be more Indonesian and and um, you know which is obviously important and, and speaking with the community you know through the research we've done they do want to to um, you know modernise they want you know better schooling facilities and communication and, and and all those sorts of things but they also want to learn about their culture which at the moment they don't have the opportunity to do but the but the situation is that they learn uh how to to read and write and these skills in placement of their traditional um the traditional education so they're now in a, in an environment where they they know how to read and write but there's no opportunity for employment so and because they no longer know how to go into the forest and find food and they no longer know how to to live self sustainably or self sufficiently they're you know essentially being educated into poverty so, um, yeah, so that's, I suppose, the issue. And then that's why the program is so important, you know, yes. to, to uh, integrate both um, the cultural education and the nationalised. Yeah, totally, and making, making sure like, they're proud of their culture and they, kept, they can teach their kids also. And, uh, yeah, oh, it's, keep going it's so important to, you know, maintain that connection, understanding, you know, who you are and where you're, where you're from. I think that that's, yeah, uh, there's... You know, learning about the animals and the plants and learning how to survive self-sufficiency is one, but then having that 
that connection to, to who you are is, I think, equally as important, if not more. Yeah. yeah, we can see, like, all around the world that resettlement of indigenous communities break the culture a lot. And some governments think that indigenous people should adapt themselves to the capitalist lifestyle. And simply, I reckon it's simply, it's so shameful and barbarian type of things to do to trying to push them to adapt to our culture or to someone else's culture. Uh, what do you reckon should be, like, the ideal best solution? Um, I think just it's it's entirely up to the to the people, and I think that that it should always be left up to the people to make that decision, you know. And, and um, so, I mean, I can only speak, I suppose, on behalf of the Mentawi because I've done a lot of research and and um, and have spoken to them about this. And they do want to um, to modernise, but they also want to learn about their culture. So, I suppose for them, an integration of combination of both of those you know so they're they're um you know they're learning all their mentawai you know economies perhaps growing it's you know modernizing in in a, in a way that self that is um sustainable for them you know and so they're and and for it to to be that i think that they need to to in to combine that with their native skills and and practices and and i think i mean culture is is uh you know their greatest fortune and the greatest wealth and so if that it's taken away, then yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a worry for their future. Um, but yeah, I, I think just a combination of, of both of those, but left up to the community to to decide, you know. And that's that's largely what our model's about. It's not not going in there and saying, well, you know, we've, I've got a great idea, of, you know, how you can, um, you know, better yourself and better your future. And it's more about, you know, providing them with information about the, their situation if even if that's what they require, and and then. You know, talking to them about what they think they need, and and um, and then just prov- you know providing support for that. Yeah, that's brilliant. You're not coming as a superhero with the best idea <laughs> and trying to push them going into that that way or that way <laughs> no, to well, save them. <laughs> it can never be sustainable if you you know unless it's of their own accord and their own um, you know them taking ownership of it. No, <laughs> I think that's um, yeah. it's displacement really. I anyway. think we've seen that doesn't work. I mean, European colonisation did a wealth of good for um, all the cultures that they kind of came into. Very sarcastic there. Um, So it's just a matter of kind of having a new way of seeing it and seeing that they are the ones that have the answers for their own community. They just need the support and recognition of that. Well, they have to have control over their own lives. I think that's one of the the um, biggest problems with you know with that being displaced you know losing control of your own life and that's that's often where they're you know, quite vulnerable and that's where you know, alcoholism and drugs and all those sort of problems can come in as we've seen you know in Australia you know with our indigenous communities totally let's meditate on that one and we'll be back after the community announcements so stay tuned Culture gives our life meaning. Without it, we suffer. This is evident amongst displaced Indigenous communities all around the world. For the past seven years, we've been working with Indigenous people to develop a program that enables communities to utilise their culture as a means to reduce long-term poverty. Right now, we need your help to raise much-needed funding to get this program off the ground. Make a tax-deductible donation of $50 and receive an entry ticket to a family-friendly day of live music, food, festivities and a chance to win $2,000 cash. 
The event will take place on the 5th of March at the foothills of the Mount Macedon Ranges. You have an incredible opportunity to help us achieve our goals and impact the future for Indigenous peoples. For more information about this project and to purchase tickets, go to www.asworldsdivide.com. Friends of the Earth is a 3CR supporter. And you're back on Dirt Radio with Conan, Rob and Sammy. Dirt Radio is a show sponsored by Friends of the Earth. We were talking about the Foundation, Indigenous Education Foundation, and the great job Rob is doing by empowering Indigenous community in Indonesia and around the world to have better access to the culture. Rob, you're covered with traditional Indigenous tattoo. Could you tell me more <laughs> about that part of the culture? Um, yeah, it's a very large part of Mentawa culture. Uh, I don't know exactly, but I, I'm told it's one of the oldest tattoo traditions and cultures in the world. Um, and yeah, I'm not completely sure. There was a chap from Padang who was doing a lot of research on it, but he's passed away a few years ago. So I think his son's continuing. But anyway, um, they practice. It's it's a form of identification, as in a lot of tribal communities, and uh, and also a a clothing. You know, uh, for them they. I often ask, you know, what what's the meaning, and they talk about it as in, well, you know, it's like you have your so Western people, you know, have uh, your best type of clothing that you'd wear if you're going to some special event, and then you know, this is this is the Mentawai clothing, and, and um, yeah, I've just over the years sort of acquired a few souvenirs, you know, it's um, yeah, I consider myself quite privileged, I suppose, to to have been tattooed by some of the, the shamans over there, and. And um, each region's different. So, with the tribe, the tribe that I stay with, in the, the clan that I stay with, I've got the tattoos that are, you know, that that identification from that region. So, um, you know, if you went further north into you know, Central Sibirut Island or further north, the, there's, you know, quite significant differences in in the designs. But when um, when we see those people, yeah, you know, obviously know that you're from that area. And, Um, hmm. So you've learned how to make tattoo also, like you told me that you are starting to to make tattoo and uh, on a traditional way. Could you go a little bit further with that? <laughs> yeah, um, they've been, during the, my time over there, they've, they've seemed to be quite enthusiastic about teaching me how to do the tattooing and I think that's because there there is not many people doing it there anymore. Um, a lot of the those that know how to do the tattoos Are, uh, are a bit older now and they're having problems with their eyesight and so there's uh, the, the younger generation aren't really interested in it they've um they're more interested in the you know western style tattoos as opposed to their own and so there's there's no one really taking it on um so i, I feel like that you know is perhaps part of the reason and and since yeah being able to sort of gaining that skill i've i've been um, asked to tattoo a few of the local people there there's still quite a lot of the older people that, that are interested in getting their tattoos finished or you know or getting them and so yeah, the last few times I've been over there they've um there's been a few people waiting for to get some tattoos and, and so <laughs> at the moment um yeah I've sort of brought that skill back here so I'm doing fundraising for the for the community program and um yeah I just felt that that might be a a good idea you know to to offer that opportunity to people here if they're interested in not specifically the Mentawai 
you know, tattoos, but you know, perhaps something influenced by that style or, or for their own, you know, Sammy, design. you're having some great skills in designing. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun, actually. It's a yeah. bit... Um, I love drawing, so being able to give that gift to somebody else and have it permanently with them on their life journey is a pretty honorable. I feel very honored to have that. Um, so, guys, if you have like a, an idea to have like a to <laughs> you yourself to have a tattoo, a traditional one made by uh, by Rob and designed by Sammy, just like get get in touch with them, and uh, I'll tell the the website a little bit further during the program. Uh, to create more public awareness around your foundation, you made a film. So the film is As World Divide. Yeah. And could you tell us about that film and uh, the fundraising around it? Yeah. Um, uh, the film, well, initially, when I went to Mental, I, I had a camera with me, and so I'd, I'd started documenting, not really knowing what I was documenting. I, I think, as I mentioned earlier, I was in, quite interested in those sustainable practices um, and you know some and the culture too but but I was finding it hard to to yeah, really understand what the culture was in that initial community so anyway I was just filming and I've, I've, I've basically filmed and documented the whole seven year process up until now and so um, the films uh, I'm hoping to use as a you know awareness raising tool and um, yeah to people can see the film and understand the situation there and um, and also you know the the solution to or proposed avenue to a solution and uh hopefully you can get some support around that too so um it's uh yeah hoping to release it later this year at the moment we're doing fundraising for um the post production yes. um i'm sitting down with an editor in march by the, and i mean there's, al- there's already quite an advanced draft of the film but just to finalize so sitting down with an editor for for three weeks And by the end of that, we'll have a picture lock. And so, yeah, hopefully later this year, we'll, we'll release that film. Um, and so as we listen in our community announcements, we got a, you're going to, to launch uh, a part of the, the fundraising campaign on the, the 5th of March? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're having a, an event out in Riddles Creek, a uh, backwards raffle draw. Um, where we, the prize will be $2,000 cash, actually. So nice, everyone likes a bit of cash. And and uh, that's the, the money we raise for there is to go toward the program, but also and part of that will go toward finishing the film. So we've just got a little bit more money to raise for um, yeah, just a few, a few aspects of the post-production. So that's on uh, March the 5th to start at around 12 or 1 o'clock. 1 o'clock, yeah. Yeah, I will... What's going to happen during this uh, this afternoon? Um, yeah, we'll have some live music there, and uh, there'll be plenty of food and you know drinks, and and uh, it's out out in the country. Riddles Creek's just a, a small country town out at the foot of Mount Macedon, so um, it'll be a nice country environment. Might be some ducks and chickens wandering around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good like family friendly uh, spot yeah. uh, to to spend. Uh, Is that, a, is that a Saturday? It's a Saturday, yeah. yeah. it's great to spend the Saturday. We are slowly, like, getting a little bit, like, running out of time. So, like, we, we had, like, a great chat about the, the foundation. We're talking with Rob and Sammy about the foundation to help to empower the indigenous community to get their culture back. And we can check your website. is www.iefprograms.org. And also hasworlddivide.com, yeah. .com. Yeah, ieffprograms.org is the uh, Indigenous Education Foundation. Yes. And then 
asworldsdivide.com, that's the film. And then through there, there's a, there's a, a website up for Sukumentawa as well, but you can link through IEF programs to that. So, you, and you, Rob is the one running this, uh, the program plus the film. Uh, I'm well, definitely. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, the program is actually will be run by the community. So, okay. um, I've got a, a couple of those members I've mentioned before that sort of engage with and, and that were taking ownership. Um, Esmat, who's a, who's a director, and August, the manager. So, mm-hmm. the, this their program. I'm, I'm working with them, obviously, but um, yeah, really just supporting them. So, with the with the information, yeah, yeah. And, and, some, and you know, financial support and um, sort of campaigning and working. Yeah, with, I'm working with them quite closely, um, but you know, just because that that's a relationship I've been there for quite a long time. But yeah, I'm, I'm not making any of those decisions for them. That's very much up to them. You know how they'd like to um, develop and and uh, implement. And you're helping like with fundraising and like raising money yeah. to go with the program for the the local community to really work with this money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Definitely see you on the 5th of March. So in Macedon, get all the information as worldsdivide.com. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Thanks very much for coming in the studio. <laughs> no, thanks for having us. <laughs> so still time to join the fight against the giant mining company in New South Wales. So go to Moles Creek and stop bulldozer. Protect the forest. Check out Frontline Action on Call. They need you. They're having like some great direct action at the moment. You can also follow them on Facebook, still Frontline Action on Call, Twitter with the hashtag Gomoroy or Flack. Just have a look at what's going on in Moles Creek. We need to save this forest. Thank you very much for listening Dirt Radio. Let's catch up next week for more activist stuff. Dirt Radio is affiliated with Friends of the Earth Melbourne. So Go to the website at www.fo.org.au and support our kick-ass campaigns with a donation. Stay with Wissia for Black Block coming right up. And now we're going to listen something a little bit pumping for Monday. Let's do like Shutdown in Flames by Akadek. <laughs> Ciao, guys. <laughs>